You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Goodbye for Now, recorded on Sunday, February 21st, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, they say all good things must come to an end. I say that for a Christian, we shouldn't say that. We should say they all come, good things come to an end for a little while. G.K. Chesterton pointed out that fairy tales really are the most true thing you can read as a Christian because they all end in happily ever after. And for the Christian, because of Jesus Christ, because of eternal life, because God lavishes his riches on us forever, and we forever are finding more and more wonderful things about our wonderful God who cannot ever be fully known by us throughout all eternity, happily ever after is always true for us. So all good things don't really come to an end for the Christian. Now, with that heavy philosophical thought, nevertheless, right now we're going to end our series on Hebrews. (laughs) That is coming to an end. (laughs) But I would encourage you to remember that the book is still in your Bible, and um, and it can be revisited. Though we went through it together over a year, it's still there for us. But let's go to the final chapter, or the final text from the final chapter, verse 17 to 25 of chapter 13, the final chapter in the book of Hebrews 13, verse 17 to 25. It's a, it's a goodbye section from the pastor. He is a, a, a shepherd. Pastor, by the way, is a word that means shepherd, all right? The office of pastor in the local church is really called an elder, sometimes translated bishop, sometimes overseer, um, but it, it is an elder, and that's the, that word means the same thing as pastor, but pastor is a, a co- more colorful word because it means shepherd, and, and that's very interesting that God, you remember when Peter was uh, having some lunch? or breakfast with, with, the, with Jesus after he raised from the dead, he said, Peter, do you love me? He said, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep, care for my sheep. He said it three times. So the job of Christian leaders are to take care of God's sheep because Jesus is a shepherd, right? He is the good shepherd. He takes care of us. So this is the shepherd. He's, he's just finished a very long letter, um, and he, he's going to get personal and say goodbye. So we're at the goodbye portion. What will God teach us? Every bit of it's the Word of God, and God will teach us through the goodbye portion. Let's start in verse 17 and go to 25. Ready? 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Leaders in the church have to give an account to God. They're going to be checked. (laughs) Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, starting in verse 20, you have what is called by the old timers a benediction, a blessing right? Blessings upon you. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. That's really funny. Hebrews is one of the longest books of the New Testament. (laughs) He's like, I could have said more. (laughs) A true pastor indeed. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Timothy is, is a leader of the church, uh, and we know from Paul that eventually he'll be a leader of the church in Ephesus once his missionary journeys were done, so he would be a, like a visiting dignitary to them. Uh, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Um, greet all your leaders and all the saints. That's two groups of people in your church. Greet the leaders and the saints. The saints are anyone who, who knows Jesus. The word means holy one, and uh, you may not feel very holy, but if you're a Christian, Christ died for you, took your sins away, you are a holy one, right? So there's some people who think to be a saint, you know, you got to go through a bunch of things, and true, all true saints are, are memorialized in statue and in stained glass or in little medals you wear around your neck. But in actuality, all believers are called saints in the Bible, which means you, my friend, are a saint. So isn't that a good thing? So you can go and go commission a little medal to be named, made with your name on it. And a little picture of you carrying around an animal or something, right? And you're a saint, and it's okay. Give you a little medal. Someone says, hey, Shirley, that's Saint Shirley to you. You know, you just keep... Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. He ends with grace. So... This is a very intimate way to end it. This, this letter is very interesting because no one but Jesus and the people who were alive then know who wrote it. You know, the, this, this letter was accepted by the early church from the beginning as Scripture, which meant it has apostolic authority, but no one knows exactly who read it, wrote it because it doesn't begin like Paul's letters begin. He writes, I, Paul... And, you know, it's like, dear you, I am me. And he tells you who he is. But this one, he just shoots right into the message. He doesn't talk in the first person till he gets here. He doesn't talk about himself till he gets to the very end. Most uh, scholars believe that it actually was first a sermon. In other words, he preached this out loud and then decided to put it down in writing. Um, This portion, although he put a close on it, and he's saying goodbye. So this is the goodbye portion from the pastor. And, and, and so these are the final exhortations, the final things he wants them to remember. Um, so there's really uh, just, I think, really two areas to look at. So here's the first one. He says, heed your leaders, for they are here for your good. Heed, listen to, mind your elders. Hear what they say, do what they say. For they exist for your benefit. Leaders in your church are there for your benefit. The church is not to be anarchy. It's not, a church is not to be democracy either, where everyone votes and decides everything everyone's supposed to do. Church is supposed to be led by humans. And he's saying heed them because they exist for your benefit. That's why they are there. Now, the, he starts off the passage very strongly with that, but I, before we get to that, I want to show you that he's really mentions the leader several times, the leaders throughout this passage. Uh, Let me show you first in verse 22 to the beginning of 24. He says this, I appeal to you, brothers, 
Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders in the saints. And in that, he, he begins by saying, bear with my word of ed- exhortation. He's talking about his own leadership. I just wrote you a letter. He's saying, heed it, do it, listen to it. Exhortation, if you see exhort in the Bible, it, it means, it, 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 it's a word that means to, to help people move farther on. If you're here, let's move you there. A good way to think of exhortation is think of a football coach. Who, who wants you to go from where you are to the next step. And he coaches you to do that. That's all he thinks about. It's how to get you to be better. And then when you're on the field, he'll yell at you to get you to perform. Go, run, do this, go over there, stand there, do this thing. Let's do this. That's exhortation. And, and he sees his whole letter as a letter of exhortation, which it was. Those first hearers were Hebrew Christians. They're Jewish Christians. And they were under a lot of pressure by their own family members to give up the Jesus part of being Jewish and come back to just Jewish law. And he's saying, no, I'm exhorting you. Go further with Jesus. Stay with him. Now he's saying, bear with this word. By that he means remember it. How are you going to bear with this 13-chapter letter? The answer is you're going to meditate on it. You're going to memorize it. You're going to remember it, and you're going to do it. The letter was read before the whole church. Uh, That's why he can say, greet your leaders and greet the saints. Everyone's listening, right? It was read before the entire church. And and now he's saying, bear with it. I, I wrote it down so you would remember it. And Christian today, <clears throat> the same is true today. You have heard a lot of messages on Hebrews. Can you remember any of them? Do you remember what Hebrews says? You see, he's saying to them, you have a responsibility to meditate on this word. To And to meditate on it means to stop and think hard about what the Bible says. And Christian today, that's something we need to do. Now, by meditation, we don't mean you're sitting cross-legged on the floor and you're doing this with your fingers and you're going home. And you're not doing transcendental meditation where you... um, How can it be good if it has the word dental in it, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Transcendental meditation where you... Where you're trying to empty yourself out. By the way, I love dentists. Poor dentists. None of us want to see them, even if we like them, because we're always afraid they're going to hurt us. But I love you, Dennis. We need you. Be kind. Um, <laughs> you should never try to empty your brain. For me, it's hard enough to get anything in my brain. I don't need to try to be emptying my brain. That's you know. Um, I, I was watching Oprah on a on a podcast several years ago. Yes, I watched Oprah on a podcast. Me and Oprah are like this. We're buddies. <laughs> We're dieting together. Um, <laughs> she's my diet buddy. Call her my accordion friend. So we, we're, like, we're like accordion together. We get fat together. We get skinny together. Fat together. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I like Oprah. 
But I would never listen to her spiritually because she is as lost as lost can be and she leads a lot of people astray. And one of the things, she was meeting with this one guy named Eckhart Tolle, what doesn't matter what his name is, Tolle or something. And, and, and he was teaching her things and I watched and, and, and she said, you know, I was doing what you said, Eckhart. I was in my backyard and I was erasing all labels from everything. The tree was no longer tree. I didn't think there were trees. It was just its essence. And I wasn't me. I was my essence. And, and I had a break. I'm like, this is just the stupidest thing in the world. So when we say meditation is Christians, that's not what we mean. We mean Psalm 1. Blessed be the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night. Now, how can I, as a human, meditate day and night unless I know what the Bible says? And how can I know what the Bible says if it's night, if I don't know what it says? And how can I know what it says if I don't read it and think about what I'm reading? There's a time, Christian, if you want, if you, you need to do this. You need to turn off the radio, get off Facebook, set your phone aside. <laughs> there are times I just wish all cell phones exploded. I want them back later. I want them back later. I'm a cell phone guy, but there's times there'll be five of us in a room. We're all like, you got to set it aside and you just think about the word of God. Think about the truths you see. And my friends, the Christian must learn the discipline of memorizing scripture. Start small, but you've got to do it. You've got to do it. How can you obey these commands of meditating on his word in your bed, as David said? How did he do that? It was dark. They didn't even have electricity. You have to memorize the word. How can you hide his word in your heart, as the Bible says, if you don't memorize it? And, and there's people who say, well, I can't memorize. You're all lying to yourself if you say that. Every one of you says that is lying to yourself. And here's the funny thing was, I'm, he, he's saying, Bear with my exhortation. He wants them to remember what he said. And what I just told you, meditate on it and memorize it, I guarantee you, over half of you have no intention of ever applying what I just said. And that's the problem he's trying to get us away from, being hearers of the word and not doers. So I'm only talking to the half that is planning on doing it. Memorize. If you've never memorized, start small. Do you know there's a verse in there, Jesus wept? We can handle that one, right? Find it. Learn its autograph. John 11.35. For those at the campuses uh, that aren't the Catanian campus, someone just told us that. He's memorized. See, there it is. We can all memorize that together at all the campuses right now. John 11.35. Jesus wept. That's easy. I got it. You might say, well, that's a silly thing to memorize well, maybe it is. What if you meditated on that? What kind of God do we have who cries? And it's at the funeral of a man he's about to raise from the dead. There's a lot of meditating. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're a little anxious. Why not just turn over Jesus wept for a while and let the Holy Spirit talk to you, right? Anyway, I got to move on. I didn't plan on spending that much time on that Point. That was supposed to be like 30 seconds and I'm gone. But um, so remember the words, do them. Um, and then he reminds them of Timothy, the leader in all the churches. Um, uh, a leader in all the churches was Timothy. He traveled with Paul. He was a big shot. 
But when he's reminding them Timothy's coming to visit, it's, he's not just giving a travel log. He's obviously saying, me and Timothy are coming. Respect Timothy. Get ready to honor Timothy. Definitely let Timothy teach. Listen. God supplies the church then and now with many good leaders. Harvest itself has many leaders. We have, right now I think about 18 elders and we're working on getting more. That's elders being what you'd call a pastor. We don't mean we say the word pastor for paid guys, but we would, technically we would say all elders have the same responsibility, though they have a different amount of time to work on it, if you would. Um, so we have vocational elders and non-vocational elders. Another way to look at it is paid by the church elders and the other one paid by some other job elders, all right? 18, and we still are trying to get more and more. It's good to have a lot of elders. It is good. God supplies them. Uh, I would argue that a church of 100 people with one pastor and none of the other laymen, if you want to call them laymen, I don't really like the term, but since we all know what it means, is acting in some sort of elder capacity, that church is not well shepherded. Because one person cannot do a lot with 100 people as it comes to shepherding. So God gives many leaders, but many leaders are not in the local congregation. So they have a different role, but they can be very encouraging. And today, better than ever, you can be encouraged by pastors who don't go to harvest. And if you've been a Christian, if you're old enough to have been an adult Christian for decades, like myself, you know that you may want to hear some pastors from other churches. And you know what you had to go through to hear those people? It was called... Now, if you're under 20, you're going to have to Google this word. Ready? Cassettes. There's a, there was a something we used to call a cassette. It's a little French word. I know. You don't know what it means. Right now in western Pennsylvania, it's spiking on Google Trends because everyone says, what is that thing? But you'd have to buy them in the mail. They'd come in the mail. They cost a lot of money. You'd be sending 30 bucks for a cassette series. Now, I mean, I used to, as a new pastor in 1997, when I started being a pastor, I used to get John Piper's cassettes sent to me in the mail, and I'd send them back, and I'd get another one. It's a lot of work. Now, I have his podcast. Awesome! And there's a lot of good, helpful teachers. There are a lot that aren't so good, but there are a lot that are good. And it's good for Christians. Like, they should honor Timothy. We should honor other good teachers. Ravi Zacharias was teaching me on the way in this morning. He helps me. He's very smart. Right? How many of you like Ravi? Right? A lot of you know him. He's, yeah, he's named after uh, an Italian food, a ravioli. But people don't know that, but that's true. No, I'm just kidding. He's Indian. If you don't know, and I, I uh, people, I like Charles Stanley. I even like Andy Stanley. Many people now listen to Matt Chandler on podcast. He's a good guy. You want one who's older and and, and in heaven that, that is available now because they got him on cassette and they made it digital. It was Martin Lloyd Jones? There's Tony Evans and Adrian Rogers and John Piper and good. Listen to them all. Respect, receive. But above all, heed the pastors who share direct responsibility for your souls. And that's really the, the trajectory of this passage. So let's get to the main part of it, which is at the beginning, verse 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. He means your local guys. 
For they are keeping watch over your souls. Their job is to keep watch over your soul. That's their job. You might say, well, my soul's looked after. I'm saved. Are you done? I'm not done being saved. Yeah, I'm saved. But I don't know about you, but working out this salvation is an everyday venture for me. There's shepherds who could be trying to pour into you, and it's like pouring into nothing. That's the word of your shepherd bouncing off your head. I'm not kidding. It happens all the time. And what he's saying is, don't do that. Don't do that. They're trying to give it, and they have to give an account. I, I have this, I don't know, I've never been to heaven yet, but I'm somewhat certain there's, there's definitely not egalitarianism in heaven. We're not all equal in heaven, okay? It's not the way it is. God's into private property now. It seems to be into private property in eternity. It's in the scripture. There's people who have greater reward, lesser reward, and all that. I don't know how it works. I know we won't be envious in heaven or nothing. We'll be happy for other people, but I got a feeling Myself and most pastors are going to be somehow in the back. And I mean that. Because we have to give an account. And I don't know a, pa- I don't know a pastor's worth his salt who thinks he's up to the job. The ones who are pretty sure they're up to their job, they're going to be even farther back. <laughs> I have to answer. We have to answer. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that will be of no advantage to you. Now, whenever you see the word obey, it says get, <laughs> obey and submit. People get worried. We don't like obey. We don't like submit. I don't want to be controlled or abused or led astray. And by the way, that concern is not without merit. There can be churches that are very abusive from their leadership, very controlling, out of line. So to tackle what is being This is a command of Scripture. I didn't write verse 17. There it is. Obey and submit to your leader. So you and I have to find a way to work this out. Let's look at submission and obedience briefly from the Bible. Briefly. And then look at it, how it should operate in the church. Briefly. You see, submission and obedience wouldn't... They're bad words for us. They're bad words. Obey is what your dog does. (laughs) Right? Submit is what slaves do. Right? But they're only bad words because of the fall of mankind into sin. If there were no sin, they're good words. When God created man and woman, there was all kinds of authority and submission and obedience all over that equation. Okay, let's get in a little trouble here. God made Adam to be the captain of this thing called marriage. And they were to work together. She helped him. And so she was helping to further what he was supposed to do. And they were both under God. And it was cool. There was no problem. Until sin entered in. Satan came in and he usurped the whole thing. He turned the whole thing upside down. He went after the woman to usurp the man And the man through usurped the God, and boom, nothing but trouble ever since. Now, obedience and authority are hard because they're sinners on both ends of the equation. Here's what I mean. Your boss, if you have a job, he's a sinner or she's a sinner. You know it. I didn't have to tell you. 
everything annoying about that person is because they're so imperfect. But here's their problem. You're a sinner. When you're supposed to show up with a good attitude and sit up straight, you don't. There's a problem on both sides. You got imperfect people leading imperfect people, selfish people leading selfish people, self-directed people leading self-directed people. What a recipe for trouble. No wonder we don't like the words obey and submit. Leadership is risky with sinners. As a pastor, sometimes when the going gets tough, again, and I'll speak for myself, there's always times you feel like saying, I quit. I don't want to do this. Why do I got to do this, God? Right? There was that one uh, young man who woke up and his his mother came in and said, get ready for church. He goes, I don't want to go. Why don't you want to go? Those people, they're all hypocrites and they hate me there. Give me one good reason why I should go. She goes, because you're the pastor. Get up, go. (laughs) There's times the pastor, you're like, why am I doing this? It's risky. So let's fill in a blank here. Leadership and submission existed in purity long before sin ever entered the equation. God has always existed as one God, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And within God is leadership and perfect submission. By that, I mean the Father is, the Father, the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit glorifies the Father through the Son. There's all kinds of submission all over that equation and none of them have a problem with it. None of them feel lesser. The Bible, and they do it based on love. If God is perfect, then his leadership is perfect. Where he's going is perfect. His judgment is perfect. So if he tells you to do something, he loves you. Do it. And the son has no problem with that arrangement. In fact, he loves the father, and he knows that if he does what the father says, since the father is perfect, what he does will glorify the father's fine instructions. Look how good the father is. He gave these instructions. I did them, and your glory is revealed. So he lovingly does it. No problem. God sent his only son. That means authority, headship. He sent him. One said to the other, go. And the other went. Submission. Jesus himself put it this way. In John 8, 28, 29, Jesus said to them, when you had lifted up the Son of Man, and that's a reference to the cross. He's saying, you'll get a lot of this after I've died, buried, and been resurrected. Then you'll know I am he. Who? God, the Messiah. And look what he says after that. And that I do nothing of my own authority. I don't even boss myself. I am captain of my own destiny. I did it my way. You want the whole song out of me, I know. What is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he really feels and not the one Of one who kneels. I mean, it's such... Yeah, stop. Do not mock me with applause. I know I can't sing. But the point is... Truth is truth. I can't argue. Well, the point is... That is the anthem of man. I did it my way. But the anthem of Jesus is I don't do anything of my own authority. He lives in 100% submission all the time, 100% obedience. But I only speak as the Father taught me. I say what, I'm here to say whatever he says, say. 
And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things pleasing to him. It's a very positive arrangement. I love doing what he says. Most of us, with our father, we think, I'm going to do what he says, and after I get done doing what he says, I can do what I want, which is going to be better than what he says. Right? It's called chores or something. Submission and obedience are in Jesus' every action. God's leadership is beautiful and perfect. Now, here's where the problem comes in. Again, we're fallen. So your boss is not perfect, and you are not perfect. And if you're a boss, you're not perfect as a boss. But God is God over imperfect authority, too. Look at this amazing text from Romans 13. It says, let every person, by implication, this is every person in the church. So it's for every Christian, really. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He's saying, submit. For there is no authority except from God. All human authority, no matter what it is. If someone gets you, if you're a kid here, someone gets you, your parents get you a babysitter. That's from God. You're like, no, my parents hired that person. No, God sent that person. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, you might say, well, wait, they're not all godly. Well, I agree, but God still works through them all. I was in the shower this morning, and I, was, and I asked God about Stalin. Because I was thinking about Stalin when I was in the shower. Who doesn't, right? I mean, <laughs> he killed his millions. God, did you put Stalin there? A couple of thoughts crashed into my head right away. By the way, meditating... On the Word of God, the shower is a great place. you got nothing else to do, and your phone will get ruined. A couple thoughts just crashed in. First, I thought of Job. God's answer to Job. Because Job was saying, why this? Why should I submit to this? God's answer ultimately to Job was, excuse me, were you there when I put the stars in place? No. Then you're just going to have to think, realize that you don't have to understand I'm still doing it right. The other thought that hit me was that God prophesied the Roman Empire through Daniel. He used the, no one has ever been more brutal than the Roman Empire. Modern times, we can kill more people. I guess it's just as brutal. So I don't understand why Stalin had to be. It's not that he's good. He's evil. And if he, unless, barring a last second conversion, which I don't think happened, he's going to burn in hell forever for what he did. But God still placed him there. God placed Mussolini there. And, and, and here's an odd thing. My kids need to give God thanks for putting Mussolini in Italy every day. You say, why? Well, God has a big economy, and I know he has reasons we'll never see, but one of the little teeny, teeny tiny reasons, teeny tiny reasons, is my family. But because Mussolini killed a guy named Matteotti, who happened to be one of our distant cousins, and the, they were just whacking all the men named Mateote to stop them from getting revenge. If you don't understand that, watch Godfather 2. It's an Italian thing. They just wipe out everybody so you don't come back. So my family said, who weren't trying to hurt Mussolini, we need to get out of here. So they went to Ellis Island, who said, no, you can't come in. So they went to Mexico, where my Italian grandmother Met a Mexican man, and they loved each other. They're married. And now I'm here. No Mussolini. No me. 
<laughs> now, I know that's a silly little, but think about it. God has plans bigger than us. And he puts people in authority for reasons we'll never, and I'm sure that was not the main reason, but I'm happy about it. Perhaps the best example is Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who is one of the most wicked, who did one of the most wicked things ever. The greatest sin ever committed by man was the crucifixion of Jesus. The perfect man put on trial three times, found guilty each time, and though he never did anything wrong. And though Judas had the greater sin of betraying him, I think Pilate comes in second because he ordered his death. Some people, uh, you know, it can look like in John that Pilate's a sympathetic figure, but he is not. He is a wicked, wicked man. In John 10, at one point, Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you? Then Jesus answered and said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. God gave power to wicked Pilate so he would do the greatest sin so that Jesus Christ would die. And note what Jesus did. He submitted to that authority. Some might wonder, why would God do this with Pilate? The answer is the gospel. God, when the most wicked man ever, takes the only good man ever, and he puts him on a cross and kills him, what he didn't realize, what all the powers of hell didn't realize, even what the good people of earth who loved Jesus at the time didn't realize, was that God was working out a plan that was far beyond, beyond us, and he was using the governor of Rome to pull it off. And that was when wicked men will slay the only good men in some kind of Jesus magic that we don't understand. All our sins were laid on that innocent man and he died and so did our sins. He went to the grave and destroyed its power so any who believe in him can live forever. But it required Jesus submitting to that authority. By the way, there is a caveat. Um, no time to develop this theology, but do remember that the Bible is clear that you should disobey authority if it tells you to sin. You should always disobey authority. You can rebel against it, and that's in the Bible too. <laughs> Never sin because someone's telling you to do that. Well, back to our text then. So when it comes to authorities on earth, you have two kinds, two basic kinds. You live under two kinds of authority. One, the ones you're stuck with. Two, the ones you choose willingly to submit to. Two kinds. First kind, parents, if you're at home. Parents, if you're at home. It's got to be said, because some of you parents think it's your job to run your kids' marriages. Get out. It's not your business. It's not your place. I should yell at the adults who let that happen. Now, here's the rule. This was not in my sermon, but some, someone here probably needs this. If your mom or your dad is constantly telling you what's wrong with your spouse, it's not your spouse who needs to change. I wish you and mom would just work it out. Quit being a wuss and tell your mom, back off, that's my wife. And reverse that if it's the woman. It's your job. Tell your parents, go away. In love. But if you're still with your parents, you're stuck with them. Government, teachers, because the government forces us to go to school. You're just stuck with these. The second kind are kinds you choose, like your employer. You, you chose to take the job. We don't have slavery here, and you can choose to quit. 
You have sports teams. You can join a sports team. You don't have to be on the team, but if you're on the team, you have to submit to the coach. You can have marriage. Uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble there. Headship and marriage, man and woman. You don't, you might say, well, aren't I supposed to stay married? With one exception, yes. However, you do have a choice at the front end of that. Um, and church. You don't have to be saved. If you choose to be, you should join a church. And if you join a church, it's your choice. How should we handle the two kinds? I'm going to read you, I wrote it down so I didn't get it wrong, how you should handle the first kind, that's authority that you don't choose, and the second kind of authority you do. Okay, here's the first. God commands us to submit joyfully knowing that God is in control. So the first kind, that authority you can't control. Even bad government. God commands us. Kids, if you're in the room and you're a kid and you have parents, I'm going to yell at you for them. You have to obey your parents. And you might be saying, wait a minute, my parents aren't that bright. They always come up with rules that are silly. I believe you. I know your parents. <laughs> but as long as they are not abusing you, if, if they abuse you physically or sexually, you may rebel against them because they're asking you to participate in sin. But if they're not abusing you, you got to do what they say, because God said. And you don't have it as bad as my kids, because they had a pastor for a dad, and I'd give them that exact speech. You, that I'd look and see the little injustice on their face. They would think, this ogre of a father has all these rules. And I'd be like, you could be right. I'll agree with you, I'm an idiot. But Exodus says, honor your father. So God said, do it, do it, and that's the way it goes. And I'll spank you if you don't. So the first way is God commands us to submit and joyfully knowing God is in control. But the second is this. God commands us to submit joyfully knowing God is in control. Wait, that sounded just like the first. That's why? Because it is. Now, I'm not saying all are the same. An employee-employer relationship is much different than a husband and a wife whose partners who are equal and connected and one is the other. And husband and wife are not exactly like a pastor in a church. So let's get back and finish this up by looking at the text. What power do pastors have to force or coerce you to do things? What power do I and the elders of Harvest have to get you to obey? Answer? Zero. There are no tools in the toolbox. There's no forcing. You're like your employer can force you. They say, there will be consequences. You don't do it, I'll fire you, take your money away, give you a bad shift. Your teacher can force you. Don't do it, you get bad grades. Your pastor, there's no tools. Now, again, there may be controlling movements and pastors, but I'm, that's not godly. There's no... Pastors, though, are not without authority. Don't get that wrong. They just have no power to coerce or control. We have authority given by God in three ways. One, he calls the men he wants. Two, they have to remain qualified. And three, they have to lead under submission of Scripture. Like, I have authority over you from God. Whoa, that sounded powerful. But it looks like this. I teach you what the Bible says. And you have to do it because God said, I'm not going to make you. I can't make you. But I cannot make you do things the Bible doesn't say. Like, you might really need to make your bed. I can't say, you better make your bed. 
or I can to the children whose moms tell them to make their bed. So you children in here, if your mom says make your bed, make your bed because God said obey your mom. There, I can say that. Moms who want me to say other things to their children, just email it to me during the week. I'll say it from right But I have no business on whether who you, there, there, there have been some really abusive movements There's, where pastors tell people who they can marry, where they can live, what jobs they can have, what to do with their money. I can't do, those aren't, the scripture doesn't give me that authority. It's your business. But I can tell you, no adultery. Jesus said no. I can't make you not do it. But I can tell you, I have the authority to say it, and you're bound by God to obey. Let me, let's, let's put this in writing so we can talk about it in our community groups. God chooses certain men. Those men show themselves in the church by satisfying the qualifications. Not in this sermon, those qualifications, but they're listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And then they are to lead under the authority and teachings of the Bible. And those men are called elders. I'm talking about elders or what you might call pastors. Much could be explored here, but I just want to probably wrap up by looking at what Peter has to say. Peter Peter speaks to elders, and he tells them how to lead. And I think in that, we can see how to follow. It says, so I exhort, 1 Peter 5, 1. So I exhort, men that exhort, that coaching, go forward, guys, keep going. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Beautiful thing that the great fisherman, the great apostle Peter, who actually saw Jesus, was in the boat with Jesus, knew all about Jesus, and could authoritatively declare the gospel like no other elder has the right, that he would actually lower himself to say he's a fellow elder. But I guess I shouldn't be surprised because an elder's really a pastor and a pastor's really a shepherd, and he worked for Jesus, who was a shepherd. So he says, as a fellow elder, but then he says, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, Peter saw the cross, and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter saw the resurrection, and he saw the Mount of Transfiguration, so he saw some glory. So he's dropping some rank on him. As your fellow elder, but not just any old elder, guys, I was there. And then he says, shepherd the flock. The word pastor is hardly used in the Bible. Here's one of the places, and it's a verb. It's not lord it over, and it's care for. Shepherds try to care for sheep. Shepherd the flock, but look at this. Shepherd the flock of God. It's someone else's flock. It's not yours. It's God's. So these are God's sheep. Treat them well. That is among you. That's local pastors leading the local flock. God intends for every Christian to have pastors. He will raise them up. The solitary pastor. Well, I I know he's a believer. He just never goes to church. Okay, I will tell you this. I don't know that he's a believer. Well, he prayed to prayer. I don't care what he did. I'm not saying he ain't. I'm not saying he is. I don't know. But my guess is he ain't. You can't have a pastor if you don't go to church. But it's those among you. And that also means I don't have to pastor. I could go be a guest speaker at a church in another town, and hopefully they'll receive me and listen to me, and I'll preach, and they'll learn something. But when I'm not responsible for their souls, ultimately. And I'm glad. I have enough that I have to answer for. I'm already, gonna, I'm already afraid of blowing it here. I don't want to go blow it somewhere else. I mean, I'm doing my best. Exercising oversight. So there's a direction of overall ministry thing going here. But not under compulsion. Not because other people are making you do it or you feel guilty. But willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. 
Don't do it because you think it's going to get you power. Don't think it's going to raise you up and you can be above everyone and have prestige. Do it eagerly and willingly. And look at this. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And there is the power I have to make you do things right there. I love the way New American Standard says it. It says, nor yet as lording it over to those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. I'm not allowed to force you to do anything. I can only instruct and try to do it myself and say, look at me. That's why I'm scared of judgment day. <laughs> I'm doing my best. And I, and I trust grace. I, I really do trust grace. He, if he calls us, he equips us. There is no beating the sheep, if you will. So what's your So if I have to voluntarily, cheerfully, and for your good, lead you, by example, not force, instruct and demonstrate, that means you are supposed to follow the lead of your pastors by choice, submitting to them, and not making it hard on them. The verse says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I love that. The job the leaders do is valuable. Many people belittle the work of a pastor, their own pastors. They won't tell you, but they think very little of their own pastor's work, and they won't admit it. How do you know? It's this practice. They go to church and say, well, if he says something I like, I'm going to go with it, but I don't like it. I don't care what he says. I'll just pick. What you're really saying is, I will shepherd myself. We try to make pastors do whatever you want them to do. We pay him. He's going to do what we say. You think very little. There's no... look. What other humans in your world are appointed to watch over your soul? There's no more valuable work outside of yourself. So he's saying, don't give them grief. The word is grief or groaning here. Don't make their job hard by wearing them out emotionally by giving them grief. It's not to your advantage to cop an attitude, to whine, to complain, to resent every instruction, every direction. Why don't we got to meet on Friday night? <laughs> I've, already, I've already heard it. Gosh, we haven't even had the first one. We already got people saying. Wah. Not that it really doesn't bother me that much. I love you guys. And, it's the mean things you say about me personally. That's make me want to suck my thumb. All of us, me included, we're in a plurality of elders, should joyfully love and embrace the leaders of our local church. That's why I love Kevin. He's supposed to lead me. I'm supposed to lead him. I don't know how this works. And by the way, straying shepherds can be corrected. Another sermon. So... Listen, I'm going to give you one more fill in the blank, but I want to end with an application, and then we'll be done. If God blesses us through our spiritual leaders, then it makes sense that we pray for them to stay on track. It's for our good. He puts that, pray for us, in verse 18, for we are sure, and then he goes on. Time, I'm just going to cut it short. You should pray for your pastors. If they are responsible for your souls, you better hope they are decent, they're the right ones, that they know how to do their job. And there's a side note, wives, the same is true for your husbands. And this is going to be my, I guess, closing application. I know there's another blank to fill in. Uh, we'll get that on the screen here and at the campuses, but let me just end here. Wives, the same is true for your husbands in your home. If they are your spiritual leaders, are you praying for them daily? 
Look, husbands, uh, husbands and wives' headship and submission is not exactly the same as the church, of course. However, there is one similarity. The Bible says that the pastor, the elder is qualified because the way he treats, leads in his home is the way he should treat, lead in the church. So there are some similarities, and I think there's one here. Husbands, you're not to bully or coerce ever. Uh, no Christian husband should ever say to his wife, go get me my dinner. In fact, I'd give you this advice, Christian husband. You should never tell your wife to do anything. She shouldn't tell her to do anything. Don't tell her to change. Don't tell her to dress differently. Don't tell her to lose weight. Don't tell her how to cook. You say, well, if I don't, then what happens? Well, first, she'll like you again. If you think I'm kidding, ask the women in the room. Because all they hear you saying is, you're not good enough and I don't love you. Can I get a witness from the ladies if that's true? You're supposed to set the example in love. And you're supposed to be the leader, so you're supposed to take the most. You have to be the most patient. As C.S. Lewis said, The man who is most like Christ is the one whose marriage is most like a crucifixion. (laughs) The first service didn't even get that joke. I don't know why. But it's true. But wives, many of you have husbands who do try and you give them constant grief. You're just giving them crud all the time and you're wearing them out and they don't have the energy. Cut it out. You're telling them how to do this and how to do that and why you're not good enough and why don't you do this and why don't you do that. You're complaining all the time and they're losing all their emotional energy. They're supposed to lead your family. They're supposed to lead you. You're not doing yourself any good. Every man, every woman come to the altar to get married. The man's always thinking, oh, she's beautiful. I know she'll never change. And she's always thinking, he's all right, but I can do something with him. They're both wrong. They're both wrong. Right? Men love like, you've got to love your wife like the pastor is supposed to love the church because the pastor is supposed to do it like Jesus loves the church. And ladies, you've got to, without being forced ever, never you will submit to me. That should never come out of a man's mouth. Lovingly offer him that submission. Well, we're going to end here. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.